Hi, I'm Mari Frank, host of Privacy, Piracy, and Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Thank you for listening to KUCI. This week is Fun Drive Week. KUCI brings you wonderful music and public affairs shows 24-7. We give you the gift of listening, and now we ask you to give your pledge gift. It's tax deductible. When you call in your gift, you will also be eligible to receive a pledge gift from KUCI. Most of all, you will help to continue the great shows. So thank you for calling 824-5824 UCI KUCI. Make your tax deductible donation right now by calling 824-5824. Thank you. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. Good morning. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, California, streaming online at KUCI.org and podcasting on iTunes. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd, the show's engineer. We've enjoyed bringing this show since 2005. Your host is Mari Frank, a local attorney since 1985. She's a certified information privacy professional and the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, Protecting Yourself with a Personal Privacy Audit, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. Mari's testified many times on privacy issues in Congress and the California Legislature. She served as a privacy expert for numerous court cases nationwide and at a White House press conference featured on C-SPAN. You may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, The O'Reilly Factor, and many more shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash Privacy Piracy. Mari, what's our show about this morning? Well, Lloyd, today's show is, is fascinating because it's about the California Invasion of Privacy Act, or the acronym CIPA, CIPA. And we have two wonderful guests who are joining us, one from Palo Alto and one from Los Angeles. They're great attorneys. I read their article in the Daily Journal. So let me tell you first about Ed Totino, who has been a law partner at DLA Piper for 10 years, and he focuses his practice on class actions, mainly in the privacy area. He represents a broad range of clients, including banks and other financial institutions, business process outsourcing companies, retailers, hotels, and more. He's admitted to practice in California and New York, and he graduated magna cum laude from Cornell University. University and the University of California. He has been named a Southern California super lawyer multiple times, and he is rated AV by Martindale Hubble. Also, we have coming to us, now he's in Los Angeles, and coming to us from Palo Alto is Monica Scott, who's an associate at DLA Piper, and she's a certified information privacy professional, and she is a member of DLA Piper's class action litigation group and she focuses her law practice on complex commercial litigation with an emphasis on privacy issues so we've got two privacy experts over the past years monica's practice has focused on defending clients across all industries and 
especially with regard to class actions involving violations of California Invasion of Privacy Act and the Telephone Consumer Protection Act. She's been named a rising star by Southern California Super Lawyers for 2015, and she attended UCLA for both her undergraduate and her law degree. And you can find out about them, much more about them, and about their practice at DLAPiper.com. Thank you so much for joining us. So, Thanks, Mari. Yeah. Thank you, Mari. Well, Ed, why don't we start out? We're going to do a little ping pong here because you're both so um, such great experts. Let's talk about this. Um, you you recently wrote that article that I found you in the Daily Journal, and this was about proposed amendments to the California Invasion of Privacy Act. So let's first talk, Ed, about what is that California Information Privacy Act, so that my audience understands it. Sure. Thank you, Mari. So uh, the California Invasion of Privacy Act, it's also known as uh, CIPA, a shorthand CIPA, it was first enacted in the late 1960s. It was really aimed at preventing such things as spying on private conversations and industrial espionage and, and, and bad acts like that. Uh, there were originally two main parts of uh, CIPA. Uh, the first part was Penal Code Section 631, which really was aimed at and prohibited third-party wiretapping. It's kind of like a business having a PI go out and put a wiretap on a competitor's telephone lines mm. uh, and listening to their conversations to get a maybe a competitive advantage. Uh, you know, also PIs will do it during divorce proceedings or something like that. Right. Uh, the, the other part of uh, CIPA, uh, the original part, was Penal Code Section 632, which prohibited the recording or monitoring of what's called a confidential communication without the consent of all the parties uh, to the conversation. Now, that uh, applies not just to telephone calls, but, you know, also conversations person-to-person, but you've got to use a, uh electronic uh, recording or amplifying device to, uh, to listen in or record in order to violate the statute. Uh, confidential communication under the statute, under Penal Code 632, is really a communication that the parties to the communication believe is not being overheard or recorded. It doesn't have all that much to do with the substance of the communication or what's being said, but really what the expectations of the parties are who are having the conversation. So if you're, you know, if you're standing in a public place with a bunch of people around, that's not going to be a confidential communication, whereas if you're on the phone with your uh, significant other and uh, you're calling them, that likely would be a confidential communication unless for some reason you thought the call was being overheard or recorded. Now, interesting thing about Section 632 is you can violate it by doing things that are, are pretty, pretty simple. For instance, say your roommate is on the phone with uh, one of their friends in, uh, in your apartment, and you happen to pick up an extension telephone in your apartment and listen in on the conversation, you'd be violating uh, Penal Code 632 and, and committing a crime, really. Right, right. What I think is interesting is that a lot of people who are listening from out of state, sometimes their state laws say that only one party has to uh, uh, you know, agree to the conversation. <laughs> so we're really much more privacy protection uh, protective in California that both parties have to agree. So that's why you hear when a creditor calls or, uh, you know, some company or your bank calls and says this is being recorded, and if you don't want to uh, agree to that, you can always hang up, right? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's right. Now, and a lot of, uh, lot of uh, confusion happens because you might have one party in one of the states that you mentioned where you only need one one person's permission to record 
in another party in another state like California where you need both parties or all parties uh, consent to record. And the question is which law applies. Uh, if you're in California, the California courts are going to apply California law if one of the parties are there. Right. Other states uh, are, are different than that. Right. Um, Another interesting thing. Uh, yeah, go ahead. If you want, yeah, another interesting thing about uh, about SIPA that uh, uh, makes it uh, lucrative for the plaintiffs' lawyers is even though it's a penal statute, and you know the primary point of it was to uh, impose criminal liability, there is a section of the statute that uh, pro- provides for private rights of action and civil liability, right. um, and, and that's been exploited quite a bit by lawyers uh, seeking seeking what they call statutory damages. Right. Well, we think we hear about that when we think about these celebrities who are having conversations with someone and somebody's tapping in, right? Yeah, that's that's right. So in that case, uh, a couple things happen. If someone's tapping in, uh, the conversation first of all can't be used in court. Also, uh, even if there really if there isn't any harm from the tapping in of the conversation, the celebrity can recover damages from the person who who tapped in of five thousand dollars in a lawsuit. Right, right. Well, let me ask you about you know we we know about all this technology happening and it's just you know soaring as it's growing. So has SIPA kept up with this technology and how have the amendments over the years affected privacy litigation? Yeah, so as I mentioned, SIPA was originally uh, put into place in the late 60s. Um, back then, I don't think there were even cell phones or anything like that. So over the years, it's been changed uh, or amended. In uh, 1985, they added what was what's known as a Section 632.5 of the Penal Code that covers the malicious interception of cell phone communications. And in 1990, they added 632.6 of the Penal Code, which covers the malicious interception of cordless phone conversations. Those are really aimed at um, at people going around and using uh, radio scanners to just eavesdrop and listen in on people's conversations uh, right. for improper purposes. The conversations don't even have to be confidential because uh, the requirement of the statute just has to be malicious. Right. Uh, and then in 1992, they added uh, 632.7 to the penal code, and that covers the interception or receiving or recording of cellular or cordless conversations without consent. That one is much broader because the uh, the act doesn't have to be malicious, and also the communication doesn't have to be confidential. So basically, if if the argument is that's been made in the courts, and it's still a bit unclear, is that if someone on the line is using a cell phone or cordless phone and it's recorded without letting them know, then there's a violation of the statute. Mm, interesting. So, Monica, we talked just a few minutes ago a little bit about other states, but how is SIPA different in other ways um, than the laws in other states? Yeah, I think, um, you know, California, as you mentioned, is sort of a pioneer when it comes to um, privacy rights. And SIPA is pretty unique in its scope and, you know, and in its breadth. Um, so you, you did reference the fact that, you know, there are there are most states uh, only um, require one party uh, consent to record, and that's the same under federal law. But there's about 11 states, um, you know, Florida, Delaware, um, Illinois is a another one that actually have the uh, two-party consent. So, in, in that sense, SIPA is not um, unique. But what makes it so different is that the other states that have the uh, two-party uh, consent don't have either don't have private rights of action, 
which is what Ed just uh, briefly referenced, meaning that um, individual private plaintiffs can't bring lawsuits. Right. Or they have they have some sort of ordinary course or what is sort of known as a um, business um, recording um, exception. So, uh, for instance, like Florida, for um, for example, if you know you have a business who is um, recording calls just for quality uh, and uh, training purposes, as long as they're using uh, specific um, equipment, they wouldn't actually fall under Florida's um, statute. So I think that's a really um, important um, distinction with uh, SIPA. And then and another thing that makes SIPA so different is that it has really high statutory damages, which, which Ed also referenced. Um, $5,000 per action, so um, a lot of the other states don't have that either, so there's not really the um, incentive there for private plaintiffs to bring these uh, types of claims if they haven't been actually harmed by the um, recording. Right. Now, in these class actions, is there a requirement of harm, or is it just, uh, you know, that, that they did it? Is there a requirement to prove the harm in these class actions? No, there isn't. Not under the, uh, um, Ed mentioned, it's a, a specific uh, civil code section, section 637.2. So basically, as long as the um, recording has been made, that's it. That's all you need. Right. So that's why these, yeah, that's why these um, class actions are really... Um, Lucrative. Attractive, <laughs> correct, exactly, <laughs> for the um, plaintiff's bar yeah. in um, California. Yeah. yeah, and I guess it really depends, you know, I mean, I could see how it could be a real violation of privacy if somebody is, you know, able to, um, you know, record my conversation with my husband if we're talking about something very sensitive. So, you know, that, that would make a difference. So um, let's talk a little bit about these proposed amendments and, and who has proposed them. Sure. Can you tell me, Monica? Yeah. I will. Yeah. So these, um, I think a lot of your listeners may remember the widespread release of the secretly recorded planned parenthood videos last year that kind of went viral all over the internet. Right. So um, assembly member, actually Jimmy Gomez of Los Angeles saw those videos and he has introduced AB 1671. And um, so we've talked a lot about SIPA and we know that SIPA um, prohibits the recording of the um, communications, but SIPA SIPA doesn't really have anything specific about the uh, dissemination of those um, recordings. So um, Assemblymember Gomez saw these videos and and sort of saw that there was an area that may or may not be, you know, covered by uh, California privacy laws, um, you know, with the advent of, you know, social media and platforms like um, YouTube, it's pretty easy to just, uh, you know, tape something and then, you know, upload it, and then five minutes later you have something that's just basically all over the world. So he was very concerned about this uh, practice. So he is uh, proposing to amend SIPA to specifically prohibit the um, dissemination of these um, recordings that have been uh, recorded without all parties um, Consent, and that's one of the main things that he is trying to add. And then the other main um, amendment of AB 1671 is that he is actually um, making the, the uh, uh, currently under SIPA, um, there is a, a criminal fine that is um, 
available of $2,500. So he wants to make that um, available per violation. So that means um, if you um, disseminate it, then each time you, it is uploaded or, you know, viewed, that would be, you know, uh, depending on how courts end up um, interpreting the statute, if it, if it actually ends up um, passing, that would mean that, you know, companies or, or people might be subject to these um, multiple fines rather mm -hmm. than just one. Yeah. So yeah. what do you think, you know, um, what do you think is going to happen? I mean, what does it look yeah. like? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, like we said, we know California is sort of the pioneer as far as um, regulating privacy. Um, you know, like I said, AB 1671 has not yet passed, but it sort of made it through, you know, some of the first hurdles. So um, I think there's going to be a few unintended um, consequences for, you know, businesses and, and companies that um, record telephone calls, you know, just for, you know, training and um, quality, you know, um, purposes. So, you know, Ed talked a little bit about the um, legislative history of, of SIPA earlier, and, and when it was um, originally um, enacted in the uh, 1960s, it wasn't really ever meant to cover, you know, quality-type um, recording. So, you know, what's sort of known as, you know, quality service um recording purposes, um, but that hasn't stopped the uh, plaintiff's bar from, you know, suing and filing um, class action lawsuits against, you know, banks and um, other companies that uh, do um, record calls. So I think with this extra um, dissemination angle, you know, we, we do know that companies that do this type of um, quality monitoring often save these um, recordings for, you know, training and, and, and um, other things. So to the extent that they are using the um, recordings throughout the uh, company and sort of passing it along, I think that may open up companies who are just sort of trying to help out their um, customers and make their um, quality, you know, better for, you know, everyone may be open up to liability under these new um Amendments, so that might well, be a it, very it seems interesting that, thing. Yeah, that I'm surprised that they aren't asking for same exceptions. You know, I think not only for quality control, which they always say this is being recorded for quality control and training, but you know, there's sometimes that I'm I'm thinking, for example, of a case that I uh, was an expert on. It was an identity theft case, and the guy said that wasn't me on the phone, and luckily they, you know, he asked for the copies of the uh, recordings when someone had signed up for these accounts and um, and then we were able to get those and it showed it clearly wasn't him so it can be good for the consumer <laughs> definitely you know what and, I mean? I, definitely and I think you actually brought up a really good point I mean under these um, proposed um, changes actually providing you with that um, recording would actually end up being a um, violation so yeah. even though someone's trying to get, you know, trying to, um, you know, get some um, resolution by the company giving that um, recording to their lawyers, that might also be a um, 
violation. So it's something that I think Assemblymember Gomez should probably really think about hard before yeah. it sort of goes I, any further. Well, I think, <laughs> you know, when a bill goes through, people will tell them all the things that they haven't thought about. <laughs> Which are, yeah. you know, this is something, because I know under the identity theft statutes, you know, FCRA, the Fair Credit Reporting Act in California, identity theft statutes um, and penal code sections, you're allowed to get all documentation showing the fraud and you're entitled to ask for things like, you know, when somebody calls up and pretends to be you, that you want to hear that, you want to be able to prove that's not my voice, that's not me, you know. And so this is um, an important aspect of having them keep it for a certain period of time. Not forever, <laughs> mm-hmm. but um, for a period of time would make sense, but maybe having some kind of carving out uh, what it, what the purposes could be for, you know. And, and Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really... Uh, great point um i think like i said you know when the statute was um originally enacted in the uh, 1960s i think that they tried to end up doing that um but unlike you know states like florida which have this um explicit business or you know service type um exception that really isn't in our uh statute here and because of some kind of unclear um case law um you know courts haven't really gone the way of the you know businesses they sort of like i said california is very pro um pro privacy exactly so they've been siding on you know in in favor of the um private uh plaintiffs on uh some of these cases so and, and I think it's important for people who are not in our state to know that our state is one of the several that has a privacy in our state constitution. So we are, you know, clearly ahead in privacy. We had the first Office of Privacy Protection. We have basically an Office of Privacy Protection in right now that's it's not in consumer affairs, but it's in the Attorney General's office. So... You know, um, this stuff has to be fleshed out so that it's it doesn't destroy businesses and it doesn't destroy consumers. So, Ed, let me ask you something. You know, we we've been talking about this uh, the reference statutory damages, and I think you know businesses are businesses are legitimately concerned about that. So, t- let's explain what we mean by statutory damages. Sure, uh, statutory damages uh, basically allow a plaintiff to recover a fixed amount of damages either per action or per violation, even if they haven't been harmed at all. Um, Basically, it makes the uh, no harm, no foul rule uh, not apply. So if a plaintiff can show a violation of the statute, then they get what the statute provides. Uh, For SIPA, it's $5,000. Other statutes have different amounts. For instance, the TCPA has $500. Where it comes into play and becomes a real big problem is, is for instance, uh, if a company is recording calls for quality assurance, um, and they have the notification on their uh, IVR when you call in that everybody hears that says your call may be recorded. Right. Um, and then they don't have a problem. But sometimes things happen, like an employee makes a mistake, and when they reprogram the IVR, that, that section falls out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they don't learn about it for a couple months. Right. So if, they've, if, they've ha- if they ha- don't have that on there for a few months, they end up getting sued. And even though no one's been hurt at all, and it was just a simple mistake, they just take the... Uh, the number of calls that were recorded from people in California multiplied by five thousand dollars, <laughs> and, 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 and they said, "That's how much you owe me in a class action." Mm. So it gets to be a bit outrageous. Prince, a thousand calls times five thousand is five million dollars. 
Yeah, yeah. And no one's been hard or harmed at all. So that's where these statutory damages really get a bit ridiculous. Yeah, you know, those kind of cases drive me crazy, these where there's absolutely no harm or no risk of harm. Because I've, I've been, I've testified on those. When, remember with the uh, expiration date? Oh my gosh, I testified on so many of those. I, I, that, 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 that meant nothing. It meant absolutely nothing. And here I am a privacy advocate, but I was testifying for defense because it, it just is so ridiculous. There are so many other cases where there is real harm. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, that just makes me crazy. And so, they may get less money in those cases. Right. Uh, where there is harm. Right. It, it, it just there's no common sense involved. Exactly, exactly. So, Ed, you guys also defend a lot of Telephone Consumer Protection Act or TCPA cases. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Sure. So the TCPA, um, it's a, a federal statute, unlike SIPA, which is a California statute, and it covers a number of things. Uh, but the litigation these days really focus on a couple areas. Uh, one is calls made to cell phones using what they call an automatic telephone dialing system or an artificial pre-recorded voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may have heard those uh, messages where you pick up the phone and there's a voice telling you uh, telling you something like maybe there's going to be a meeting someplace or there's an emergency at the school. Right. So the TCPA restricts those kind of calls to cell phones. The other thing the TCPA does that there's a lot of litigation about these days is that uh, it stops you from sending advertising faxes to people without consent and without certain language on the faxes. Yeah. Uh, in, in the telephone area, uh, this calls to cell phones, the, the, the big issue is uh, what, what is an automatic telephone dialing system? Uh, the statute defines it as uh, uh, equipment that has the capacity to store or produce telephone numbers to be called using a random or sequential number generator and to dial such numbers. Um, so... That, that really was aimed originally at, uh, you know, telemarketers would have these, these, these devices that would just dial numbers starting at 00001 and add a digit each time and just keep dialing uh, to try and get people on the phone. Right. That's like a sequential number generator. Or they would just dial a random number. People stopped using those because it you know, didn't make much business sense uh, and also it was uh, prohibited by the statute. And so what they started using was something called a predictive dialer. And what a predictive dialer does is uh, it, it predicts when call center agents will be available and then dials numbers and then connects. When those phone calls connect to people, it connects the agent to the person so they can talk and the call center agents don't have downtime sitting around waiting for calls. Right. Uh, unfortunately, what the FCC did uh, is they, they, they looked at it, and even though those predictive dialers don't have anything to do with a random or sequential number generator, they, uh, the FCC said, well, we're going to apply the TCPA to those to those um, types of devices. And so, so what happened was you ended up with uh, companies using ordinary equipment that they always use to make calls, nothing nefarious going on, and the plaintiff's lawyers would come in and say it's a TCPA violation because you call people on cell phones without their consent using these predictive dialers. Mm. Um, and that would end up in these, these big, big class action lawsuits because the TCPA provides for $500 per violation for uh, negligent violations and 1500 for willful. Um, and so the, the companies got together and they went and petitioned the FCC and asked them for some type of reasonableness or, or, or relief in this area. And the FCC, instead of doing that, uh, came out with what they, and this is back last year in July, what they called their omnibus TCPA order, which really, really muddied the waters a lot more than, uh, than, than was, was, was the case before and was very, very unbusiness friendly. Um, for instance, the FCC said that... Uh, if uh, uh, equipment had the capacity or the ability to be reprogrammed to use a random or sequential number generator, it might be what they call an automatic telephone dialing system. 
the FCC also, uh, a lot of the companies would get consent to use these things and send, and send uh, either calls or text messages to people. Yeah. And the FCC said that consent can be revoked uh, in any reasonable manner, not by the manner the company specifies. So, for instance, if you had a, uh, you gave, uh, say you gave a department store consent to send you uh, uh, text messages about, um, about uh, uh, sales. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And typically, you'd have to, you know, reply stop if you want to stop those text right. messages. Right, Or you'd have to call up in line and let people know. The FC, under the FCC's interpretation, arguably, you could walk into the local department store, tell the first sales clerk you say, "Here's my, here's my number. Stop, stop texting me." Oh, and if they, if they don't, if they don't do it, they're subject to five hundred dollars per uh, per text violation. Well, we are just about out of time, so oh my gosh, we're going to have to have you guys back again. This is just <laughs> you're so chock full of wonderful, wonderful information, and there's so many more questions I want to ask you, but we are out of time, so I want to thank you both. Um, Monica and Ed and if you would give your website it's time to go. Thanks. Sure. It's uh, www.dlapiper.com Well thank you so much and we will have you back again. Thanks so much and have a great day. Bye bye. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI its management or the UC Board of Regents. I'm Mary Frank, host of Privacy Policy and Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Thank you for listening to KUCI. This week is Fun Drive Week. KUCI brings you wonderful music and public affairs shows 24-7. We give you the gift of listening and now we ask you to give your pledge gift. It's tax deductible. When you call in your gift, you will also be eligible to receive a pledge gift from KUCI. Most of all, you will help to continue the great shows. So thank you for calling 824-5824-UCI-KUCI. Make your tax-deductible donation right now by calling 824-5824. Thank you.